I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense's Bloggers Roundtable for Thursday, April 21st, 2011. Uh, my name is MC2 William Selby with the Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating our call today. Today we are honored to have as our guest Major General Stuart Beer, Deputy Commander, Police, NATO Training Mission, Afghanistan. He will share with you the current status of ANP growth and professionalization along with the road ahead for enabling a culture of lawfulness and public service of the Afghan National Police and the development of Afghanistan's own tra training institution as they develop the ability over time to sustain a quality training system on their own. Um, sir, if you have an opening statement, the floor is yours. Uh, well, uh, uh, good evening, our time. Uh, it's, um, it's great to be back at the roundtable. Uh, last time I was here was October, and I know uh, I think Gail uh, Harris is online, and uh, she was there when I was with you back in October. Um, but uh, I'll just uh, start. I'll have a very brief opener just to uh, share with, with all of you um, simple, in simple terms the mission we're performing here as it relates to uh, helping Afghanistan create an Afghan national police force, and I use that word national quite deliberately, as they uh, emerge from uh, the last eight, nine years of uh, not having a, a huge uh, effort applied to developing them like the armies enjoyed, uh, that effort only really coming online with NTMA standing up in uh, November of 2009. So since 2009, the, the NATO training mission with our 33 nations and our about 4,000 military and police uh, members uh, have worked to build the Army and the police force of Afghanistan so that Afghanistan can provide more and more for its own security in the field. On the police side, uh, we work each and every day with the Ministry of Interior with about 200 uh, professional advisors, military, civilian, and police, uh, helping the ministry uh, become able, more and more able to develop its police forces, uh, train and educate them, and uh, support them in the field while they do the jobs of ministries to include uh, running the ministerial institutions that allow police in the field to operate. Those institutions including their logistics systems, communications, recruiting, training, infrastructure, finance, all the things that we take for granted back home uh, that when they're working you don't know they're there, but the minute they're not working, you know they're there or you know they're not working for you. And if anybody has never been paid on time or if anybody's never gotten their supplies when they need them, they know then that there's a pay system or a logistics system. And for the Ministry of Interior and the Afghan National Police Force, we're helping them build those systems so that their people can actually do their jobs. And uh, the other uh, mission we perform routinely is to assist in uh, bringing in the Afghan recruit into the training system in the 37 training centers across this country uh, to increase the quality of the training experience for those police officers be they the patrolman level or the junior officer level, uh, to, uh, to increase the quality of the training experience in that training system so that they get more and more skill and knowledge and education, uh, and then to facilitate their transition to the operational force, which is growing uh, by leaps and bounds since we uh, started the NTMA uh, effort back in October of or November of 2009. Uh, the uh, total strength of the police force back then, 95,000, today 125,000, and continuing to grow. Uh, so in very simple terms, the, uh, the NTMA mission is about uh, assisting the ministry build itself. It's about uh, creating the national institutions that connect the ministry to the 
fielded forces, redeployed in the field, and it's about providing the support to the training effort that brings in the new recruits, officer and patrolmen, gives them the basic skills they need to join the force, and provide the professional training inside that training system so that the patrolmen can become leaders and the officers can become senior leaders in the National Police Force. And uh, we're turning in all ways in the right direction, and more and more police forces are serving the people of Afghanistan each and every month as our recruiting and training effort continues to uh, deliver more in quantity and more in quality. And just before I, uh, I turn the phone back to you for our bloggers to uh, let me know what's on their mind or what questions they might have, just want to share one anecdote, if I may, or, or example of how the, the, quality, the quantitative difference in the uh, production of Army and police forces in Afghanistan is, has made such a difference for the security uh, uh, situation in Afghanistan. Um, I'll, I'll use this um, the analogy, if I may, of the surge uh, that has been provided by NATO forces, primarily U.S., in the course of the last 12 months. Folks will remember that the U.S. committed 30,000 more troops to a surge here in Afghanistan, which completed its deployment into the country late in the fall of last year. Um, in the same period of time that that surge deployed to Afghanistan from coalition of primarily U.S. forces, the Afghan National Army and the Afghan National Police together grew by about 85,000 in the same time frame. So if you looked at the, the calendar this time last year, and you looked at the quantity of NATO forces and the quantity of Afghan security forces, today they'd be 115,000 more. And in this country of 34 provinces and 30 million people, that's making a huge difference. And so those quantities are having a hugely positive impact. And while we're investing in those quantities, we're also working each and every day, and I'll be prepared to describe that to you, to uh, improve the quality of that force as well. Over to you. Thank you very much, sir. And um, as always, please remember to clearly state your name and blog or organization in advance of your question. Um, please respect the gen uh, general's time and keep your questions succinct and to the point. And also, please keep your phone on mute if you are not asking a question. Uh, Andrew, you were first, so you can go with your question. General, good afternoon. Andrew Rubin here, Woodland Neck Magazine. Appreciate you taking the time again, sir. Andrew, it's my pleasure. Please go ahead. Thank you. General, you and General Caldwell have done a tremendous job getting the A&A and P trained and better salaries and, and, and morale and training across the board. But how does it work with their back office, with getting them paid with the paperwork? If NTMA pulled that today, are the Afghans capable of maintaining this on their own? Of maintaining their, sorry, say that again? I said if NTMA pulled out today, are, is, is the ANP capable of doing the back office, the administrative stuff that's so important on their own, or do they need more time to get to get trained for, for paperwork effectively? Yeah, the, um, the, uh, the simple answer is they need still significant help on our part and developmental effort inside the institution so the back office functions can become completely Afghan-owned and Afghan-run. Um, as you're probably aware, when the uh, coalition forces entered into Afghanistan and uh, we partnered first with the Army and only in the last year and a half with the police, the main effort of the development effort for training and education was for the operational force. Read the bayonet for the Army and the patrolmen and the police. 
Uh, and after adequate numbers of those forces started to come online that we started to shift our resources to what you call the back office functions for an institution. In the course of the last 18 months with NTMA, we have done a huge amount of work with the ministry and its institutional systems to create back office capability. Uh, we do that in the ministry every day. We've got 200 advisors working with them on that, and they're trending towards uh, from us having to do things for them to us doing things with them, and in many cases, they're doing a lot of things on their own that with us just providing overwatch or assistance when required. That's at the headquarters level. But in terms of the major systems that allow an institution to keep working, your pay systems, your logistics systems, and the like, the pay system has matured and maturing well, and it's being well administered by Afghans to include being electronic-based. So the Afghan National Police today receive about 80% of the payroll is transferred to individual police officers through electronic fund transfer. Uh, and the rest will come online as the, the communications extend into the more uh, distant reaches of this country. The logistics system is lagging. We uh, put most of our effort into training operational police, and in the last year, we started to bring online their logistics system. So the National Logistics Center is now open and running completely by Afghans, but we now need to extend that into the regions and the provinces. So we're building facilities with them, establishing structure, and partnering with them in those facilities so we can develop their logistics capability so they can actually provide the logistics services to their people. And then the same challenges exist for infrastructure management and communication. So all of those things are starting to come online. Um, they've been provided by us or others for a, for a, quite a spell of time, in particular in this last year and a half. But by, by and large, more and more of that is becoming completely Afghan. And I'll tell you, when, we're, when they're provided the training, which we're doing now, on those specialist functions, and we partner with them in the doing of those functions, either here at the capital or in the regions or out in the provinces, they pick it up very quickly, and uh, they're motivated to do it themselves. Great. Thank you. Good news, then. And on to Chuck Simmons. Yes, thank you, General. Chuck Simmons from America's North Shore Journal. Um, with the coming turnover of provinces in the city of Kabul to uh, complete Afghan control, um, can you talk a little bit about um, how capable the Afghan police are uh, in those areas? And also, are they beginning to assume what we would call normal policing functions uh, in those areas that the Afghan government proposes to uh, take control of? The, um, I'll, uh, I'll say in terms of the, the transition of um, geographical responsibilities for security, uh, as you know, that, that's already been announced, uh, which uh, provinces, population centers, and districts will actually go through that process in the next month. Kabul was one of them. Kabul has been effectively for the last least year plus secured by and solely by Afghan security forces and the main police forces. Uh, the, uh, so they've been actually delivering that security through their own police forces for quite some time. In particular, in those communities, uh, districts, and province, or and, and places like Kabul that were announced for transition. So they're in very many ways already there for security. 
The Afghan national election was completely secured by security, Afghan security forces. The Kabul conference was completely secured by Afghan national security forces. And it wasn't just the, the cop on the street that was doing its job. It was also their command and control systems up to include the national level where the police and the army work together in the coordination center. So they've got a, a impressively developed capacity to deliver security. Uh, the question, of course, is of that capacity countrywide, yet the answer is no. And there's places which are still significantly challenged by, by the Taliban and others, which, which prohibits them from taking full responsibility for security on their own. So they are demonstrating that already in those places that have been announced for transition. And our confidence in their capacity to sustain that is very high. But it doesn't mean we're gone. They have lead, and should they require support, they call and, and it will be provided. But the leadership in the provision of that security is theirs. Uh, in terms of your uh, question on normal policing, yes, there is uh, a form of Afghan good enough policing going on in a lot of places, but as you and I would recognize, it's not just a question of the police officer uh, being uh, able to do policing that provides you a sense of justice. It's a question of the whole justice system working for you as a citizen that gives you that sense of justice and security. So there's a, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done to professionalize the patrolman and the police officer with a view to rule of law, which we are planning to support them in doing, as well as to continue to develop with other support the other pieces of the justice system, the prosecutors and the courts and the penitentiaries and the like. All that is being worked by international partners, and all that needs to come together in order for the police officer ultimately to be completely effective. Uh, the last thing you want, of course, is an effective arrest, but a a prosecution and a court system which is unable to deal with that arrest. So all of that needs to come together, and that's certainly what we're providing to the police is their part of that system, and others need to help move the courts, the prosecutors, and the uh, penitentiaries along at the same time. So territorial transition or geographic transition has been announced. Uh, the, the districts and the uh, population centers that have been announced have already demonstrated a significant capacity to lead on that security component. And the transition in this first tranche um, will continue to have our support even beyond that transition. So if they do need it in the, in, the, in the future, it just has to be called upon and other Afghan security forces with ours can respond. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And Gail Harris. General, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to talk to us. Again, I'm Gail Harris from the Foreign Policy Association. I'd like to uh, ask a question about the, uh, the women that are being trained. And what I'd like, uh, it would help if I could have what I would refer to as an Oprah-type moment, something that brings to life and is a good example of a positive experience. For instance, I understand, and, and I don't want to dishonor her by mispronouncing her name, but a senior woman in the Ministry of Interior, Interior uh, received the uh, International Woman of Courage Award in 2010. So I was wondering, you know, just something uh, to bring to life the good that you are, all are doing and working with the Afghanistan people on the uh, police issue, particularly the women. Wow. Um, well, Gail, it's good to hear your voice again. Um, the uh, I'll tell you the the place for women, the need for women in the in the in the Afghan police is uh, no different than anywhere else. They're representative of the community that's being that's being provided police services, in the, you know, in, in one hand, 
And on the other, they're able, especially in the culture of, uh, of Afghanistan, to interact with the female population without the same limitation or constraints as a male interacting with a female in this culture. So they're definitely needed and they're recognized as needed operationally by the Afghan National Police. And they also recognize that they need to be in the force so they could be representative of the population at the same time. Um, in terms of numbers, the, the Ministry of Interior has given itself a goal for uh, enrolling and then training and employing 5,000 of the some 150,000-ish we're turning towards. Not a big number, but a big number for Afghanistan as a start uh, by 2014. Uh, today, there's about 1,200 women serving full-time in the Afghan National Police, of which 182 are officers. Uh, and then there's about 260 civilian women as well working across the ministry. So the number proportionally is small, but for the culture and the climate and the time of the evolution of uh, this police force, it's trending in the right direction. Uh, we're targeting uh, to recruit and, and train to support a, a working force of 2,000 by the end of this year and another 1,000 each and every year beyond that, both in the officer and in the NCO ranks. So it's starting to pick up. But... Um, there are courageous women out there. Uh, one of them, her name is Brigadier General Shafika, and she is the chief of gender uh, issues and the senior female police officer in the Ministry of Interior. And I can assure you she is very effective in interacting with the male co cohort of the Ministry of Interior and the police force, and uh, she is very effective at representing the needs for the force to have women as a member of that force and to be effectively enrolled, trained, and employed in that force. So the, um, the bottom line is women are part of the force today but need to be more so in the future. Operationally, they have a job to do, and that's recognized by the operational leadership. And as well, they have a job, a presence to provide in the force as being representative of the populations within which they work. And... Um, we just had a graduation of uh, female police officers uh, take place recently, and this, their story is on the um, NCMA website. And uh, if you don't have that handle, uh, I know you know how to Google www.ntma.a, and, and you'll find it. Thank you, sir. And David Axe. David, are you there? Yeah, I had to unmute. Oh, okay, Sir, thanks. It's, uh, David Axe with uh, Wired.com. Uh, thanks for taking the time. So I have a question about training uh, Afghan National Police trainers. Can you give me a sense of how capable the ANP is at this point of training its own people? And uh, then I have a follow-up question to that. Uh, David, uh, today we have a, a, a number of incredibly effective Afghan National Police instructors training Afghans today, uh, but we need and they need more. I'll, uh, I'll just uh, flip the clock back uh, very quickly to um, the situation back in '09 when we stood up the command. Back then, there was uh, about 35 training centers around this country, all of them being run as a bilateral effort with the government of Afghanistan, not necessarily connected as one training system. And if you went into one of those training centers about a year and a half or two years ago, uh, you, you would have seen a, a couple of variances on a theme. But one of the common denominators from back in that time was 
that the majority of the instruction to an Afghan student was being done by a contractor, an international, working through an interpreter. And so when we came on the scene, uh, the first thing we started to do was to substitute contracted trainers with professional police trainers, read gendarme, military police, in, in many cases military people training military skills, but they're professional, and other police forces, so that the quality of the training experience, the instruction, was really being grounded, being provided from a professional foundation that we could assure ourselves was, be, was being provided. Uh, the, uh, the, the second thing we did, which, which was really in parallel, was we worked with the Afghan National Police to see them assign more instructors to those training bases. And so over time, we've grown to about 800 Afghan officers and NCOs being in those training centers, providing instruction to Afghans, and our trainers are coaching and mentoring them in that skill. And as of um, this uh, February, working with the European Union Police Mission, uh, the German Police Project team has been here for many years, and with the Ministry of Interior, we've now codified what it means to be qualified to be an instructor. And uh, that standard of instruction is five weeks of, uh, of very high-end uh, training, which translates uh, a, a qualified police officer from being good at being a police officer to being good at instructing policing business. And so that five-week program has already delivered about 450 what we call train-the-trainers, who are now have deployed in the last month to those 37 training centers. And by the end of this year, there'll be 900. And by the end of uh, 2012, there'll be open over 1,600. And not only will they have had, we've created the train the trainer, in other words, the classroom instructor will help them create their master instructor capability. So they're creating their future instructors themselves. I, I gotta tell you, they, are, they have a huge appetite for education and they have a huge uh, desire to train and educate. And so there's no lack of will, no lack of human capital for this. We just had to package it right by putting professional police trainers in the training centers first, bringing more Afghans into the instruction base, and now giving them the benefit of that professional training on instruction so we can make it normal for that to take place in the future. It's a huge effort by us and by the uh, Ministry of Interior, and it's paying off big time. There are some training centers today that I can tell you we can walk away from and they'll deliver quality police officers tomorrow and for years ahead without us because they've, they've done this all along. Great, sir. My follow-up question, uh, I was in Afghanistan just recently and, and spoke to a number of uh, ANP trainers, NATO ANP trainers, who described the Afghan local police program. And I know that's uh, it's, it's still a new program, but the point they raised that's interesting to me is that the plan, they said, was for the ANP to take over administration and training of the ALP as soon as possible. Do you see the ANP uh, as ready to handle uh, directing the ALP? Actually, uh, i got to tell you, David, that's the first time I've heard that. Uh, there is no intent at all for the Afghan local police to become trained by the national, uh, did you say the Afghan National Army or the Afghan National Police? Police. Oh, okay. The, uh, the intent right now is that the Afghan local police uh, will continue to be recruited locally in the districts where they work. 
Um, that will not take place until a district shura has taken place with the provincial governor, the provincial chief, the district chief, the district uh, governor, and the shura sitting with the government of Afghanistan saying they want an Afghan local police uh, component, shura number one. The uh, An Afghan local police unit will then not stand up until it uh, can be partnered by our CISOC forces, our special forces, who will provide them that training. And it cannot be employed until that Afghan local police unit is actually recruited and controlled or being employed under the control of the Afghan uniform police chief in that district. So the three components of the ALP are the Shura wants it, and they have to convince the government of Afghanistan they want it. The second is that we provide partnering to that force in the form of our CISOC so that they get good training and good partnering. And the third one is that they're employed underneath the chief of the AUP in that district. There is no intention at this time to transition the, the training responsibility for that force to anyone other than our own special forces because we're still growing it at a great rate. Right now, there's about 5,000 enrolled across the country in the ALP program, of which about 3,500 have completed their training, and the number is continuing to go up week to week as we validate more districts, recruit more ALP, provide more training to them, again, noting they're employed underneath the chief of the AUP in those districts. So no intent of transitioning that anytime soon, nor is there any need to yet, because we still need the Afghan National Police to be training its more professionalized force in those 37 training centers I was talking about. Great, thank you very much. And did somebody else join? Was there anybody who did not get a chance to ask a question? Okay, well, uh, I think we have time for one more question, Andrew. Great. General Andrew Rubin again. We'd like to talk about RC Southwest. Uh, the Marines gave the Afghan uh, Army back to battle space in Nawa last fall. Uh, my friends at the 11th Marines were very complimentary in the Sandine and Kajaki game area about, about how the ANP is fighting hard. What have you done in the past year? What made them kick into gear from, say, the stories you're hearing about the ANP a year, a year and a half ago? Have you ever, uh, have you ever felt like you're on a winning team? And, uh, and that, you know, people are really supporting you, and the tools you need to do the job are being provided to you. You know what that feels like? Okay. Is that, is that, this was your success brief it's a, it's a It's an incredible, it's incredible to see the, the huge uplift in the last year and a half. And, and again, it's more than the numbers. The, um, if, if you were a police officer joining in 2008, say, even down at Hellman, say, for instance, um, it would not be uncommon for you to have been recruited by whoever, uh, a neighbor, a friend, uh, a contact, and then given a weapon, maybe given a uniform, and being told you're a police officer. In other words, recruited but not necessarily trained before you're put out in the line. So in 08, 09, that wouldn't have been uncommon. Uh, when you're put out in the line, uh, it would not have been un uh, your pay back then would have been about $85, $95 a month, uh, about half or just under or just over half the living wage in Afghanistan. Um, the, the, the uniform you're wearing 
may or may not have been uh, a national uniform and probably wasn't of the highest standard, certainly didn't make you look like a professional necessarily. The kit, the equipment that you're given was probably inadequate for the job. Maybe you had vehicles, maybe not. Maybe you had communications, maybe not. Um, and, ultim- and your leadership wasn't necessarily trained. Uh, it, uh, there's no guarantee per se that the district chief or, or your leadership had actually had access to or been provided training themselves. So that sort of represented the state of many, not all, but many of the police forces in Afghanistan just two years back. In the, uh, in the, in the last year and a half, by working with international partners in the ministry and really focusing on the entire condition of the Afghan National Police, we've done a few things. The first is every recruit gets trained. Now, we know that there are exceptions to that where people get around the system, but it's ministerial policy and it's our practice that every recruit gets trained. In the training base, you get a different experience than you would have gotten a year and a half ago, and I just described that earlier as a style professional police trainer with Afghans providing you that training. But not only are you getting professional police training, you're getting literacy, mandatory, 64 hours for a patrolman and more for an NCO. Uh, so you're getting invested in as a human being, not just as a police officer. Your, your basic wage is now matching that of the Army, and uh, that's 165 U.S. dollars a month. And when you, get, when you graduate, you get other skills, and more time in, you get more pay. Uh, the other thing that's changed is when you march out of your training center with your electronic fund pay card, which makes which ensures you get the money and not somebody else, and your, your ID card, you're also in a uniform, which is a very professional-looking uniform made in Afghanistan by Afghans to Western military spec, from the boots on your feet, which many of our people wear because they like them, to the hat on your head. Uh, and as well, when you, you leave that training center and you join the operational force, you're more than likely to be led by NCOs who have now been trained and officers who graduated from the six-month OCS class and employed by district chiefs who are now participating in professional development programs. And then when you get into the field uh, and you're operating within that leadership cohort for the Afghan National Police, you're seeing a whole lot more coalition forces that were there two years ago. So you're actually partnered and your, the density of the Afghan forces plus ours just creates a whole a, a, a complete winning combination. The sum of all those things res, is resulting in incredible progress in the face of huge risks and challenges still in the field, but incredible progress across the board. And uh, people like being on a winning team, uh, trained, educated, equipped, led, and partnered, uh, and uh, all of those are playing out, and uh, we're seeing it in Helmand and in the Southwest as well as many other places. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, unfortunately, I think we're just about out of time. Um, I'd really like to say thank you to everybody who participated for your questions, and, sir, thank you for your your time as well. Uh, Did you have any closing comments, uh, General Beer? I will say that uh, uh, while time is short, I'd like to assure you that while all this training and education is going on, we are working very hard and very well with the uh, Afghan police recruiting system, which is really charging hard, recruiting at about, uh, I think we're about 2,600 recruits a month now, which is extraordinary compared to where we were f- three years, two, three years ago. And we're also working very well with the 
just inaugurated Afghan National Police Training General Command that will actually replace us in this function in uh, three or four years down the road. So they're creating this ca their capacity to actually run this huge national enterprise for the training of the Afghan police today and in the future. And we're really, really uh, keen by how they're picking up, picking up that mission and working with us on it as we are working with them on it. And my last comment is to thank all of you for your interest in uh, what's going on in Afghanistan, and I know for your support for all the American men and women, God bless them, that are here, that I have the pleasure of working with, as well as all their partners international, which includes me, in the doing of this mission. So thank you for that. Thank you very much, sir. And, sir, uh, since we're a little bit short on time, would you mind if, if some of the um, bloggers had questions, uh, would you mind if they forwarded them to me and I forward them to your people? Well, it'd be a pleasure. Roger that, sir. And today's program will be available online at dodlive.mil, where you'll be able to access the story based on today's call, along with source documents such as this audio file and a print transcript. Again, thank you, thank you, Major General Beer and our blogger participants. This concludes today's event. Feel free to disconnect at this time.